who are, who are seeking to be with other uh, Christians, even if you don't know them. Um, and those of you who are visiting here, uh, we're very thankful that you're here. Uh, and we, we hope that we'd be able to meet with you afterwards, talk with you a little bit afterwards. I also want to say a special bit of uh, thanks to uh, those who are older and might have physical ailments that uh, could be used as an excuse to stay at home, and yet you're here. Um, I, I often hear just how encouraging it is for older people uh, to see young people at church. I, I think it needs to be said just how encouraging it is for young people to see older people at, at church. Um, it, it's, it's a great blessing that uh, we have that example uh, for us, and, and I, I just wanted to, to make a special um, mention of that. I'm very grateful for that. In, in, in many ways, biblical Christianity is, is different from, from the world. We've talked about that a good bit uh, in the last month. But recently, when we've been looking at it, we've been looking at it more from, the, from a personal perspective and how individually we're supposed to look different from, from those of the world, act different than those of the world. Um, not in some arrogant way, but in a way that uh, professes Christ, in a way that glorifies Him, right? We're supposed to be different than our former selves. We're supposed to be different than, uh, than those who live of the world. But collectively, too, collectively we're supposed to be quite Different. Uh, the church is supposed to look different. There's several passages we could turn to, uh, to 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 see that, but there's two in particular that I want to look at tonight. We're going to kind of use these two passages as lens through which we'll explore uh, this particular topic. The first one is Galatians chapter five, uh, verses thirteen and fifteen. Galatians five, beginning of verse thirteen, says, "For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not." Turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Freedom is certainly something that we value very much uh, in this country, as we should. Something we should all be appreciative of. Um, but I do believe one reason why we value it so much is because, well... It affords us opportunity to do things that we want to do, to be able to do things that we like to do and not have anyone else tell us that we can't or, or can or whatever. Uh, and I'm not criticizing this. I think that's a good thing. Uh, I appreciate First Amendment rights that we have. But Paul discusses freedom in Christ differently. It's interesting the way Paul discusses freedom in Christ. He says that he encourages us to use the freedom that we have in Christ, not to do what we want to do, but actually to use that freedom to serve one another in, in love. That's how we are encouraged uh, to use our freedom, not to, to, to use it to serve ourselves and eventually bite and devour one another. By the way, is there biting and devouring of one another out in the world because of freedoms that people are using for themselves? Absolutely. But not in the church. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Denying ourselves liberties for the sake of other people. That's what freedom in Christ looks like. Another passage... In Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 25, Jesus is speaking here. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So in the context here, um, 
James and John, uh, James and John kind of kind of pull a fast one, and they're trying to assume them, uh, put themselves in a leadership role within the kingdom to assert themselves into a role of greatness. They want to be on the left and the right hand uh, of, of Jesus, and this makes the other uh, disciples very angry. I suppose mostly because. Well, James and John kind of beat them to the punch there. They, they would have done that, but they kind of got there first. And so they're all angry about this. But Jesus kind of flips the script a little bit and says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven isn't like that. It's not, a, it's not like what you've seen and heard out in the world. Greatness or leadership roles, roles that we consider to be great in the kingdom. You know what that is? That's the role of a servant. That, that's the role of a, of, a, of a slave. That's what greatness is in the kingdom. I want to use these two passages as, as lenses through which uh, we will explore the topic of, of leadership within, within the church. Uh, because as you know, uh, you all know far better than I, um, the last few years Oak Mountain has had the same three elders, the same seven deacons, and the same preacher. right? And with that setup. Oak Mountain has a great reputation, not only here in Birmingham, but elsewhere. A great reputation, one of, uh, with, with little internal conflict, one with strong connections with one another, strong connections with the truth. And so why all this, why all this change? Why is this happening? Because four months ago, y'all decided to bring me and my family in to work with you all. One month ago, uh, we appointed Gary Huggins to serve as an elder. And then just a couple weeks ago, we appointed three new deacons, Ben Sledge, Jacob Johnson, Roy Gray. Why all this change? Because if you, look at, if you look at the world, if you look at governments or you look at corporations and things along those lines, you see a lot of change. What do you assume? Something's wrong, right? Or there's some new guy coming in and he's going to try and have all these sweeping changes. We're going to try and get rid of the old guard and put in the new. We're going to make all these new things happen because there needs to be change within the congregation. That's not the case. I, I hope you don't see that as the reasons why we have done the things uh, we're, we're doing. What, we're, what we've done, though, or what we want to do tonight, is we want to explore what is leadership in the church. And I hope in exploring this topic, it would make sense as to why we would want to increase the number of workers that we have serving in these particular roles. Because if we are called to be different as individuals, it should be no surprise that the church is to be different as well. Church being a collection of individuals. Uh, the church makes up the body of Christ. And well, if you look at Christ, if you look at Jesus, Jesus is often portrayed as pretty much the antithesis of, of a typical person. He, he is unlike anything you've seen or heard in the world. And then throughout his ministry, he makes clear that his kingdom is going to be that way as well. And so I hope what you'll see, uh, as I have, is, is how the church, especially within its leadership roles, is going to be particularly different from the world. And so I want to do two things tonight, and that's one, establish, well, what are those roles? We're not going to get into a whole lot of detail in there, uh, but at least lay out what are the roles that are established within Scripture. And then uh, the second point is make observations of how it is different. Again, looking through Galatians chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 20. So... First thing that I want to look at is let's look at different examples of leadership that we find within a local body, uh, a leadership that we find in, in the New Testament church. And one perhaps we don't think about uh, too often is actually addressed in Acts chapter 15, and that's leading men. That's the, that's the term that is give, given. 
I hesitate to call it a position because it's not appointed. You don't see anything like that. But they are referenced. They are talked about. Uh, Acts chapter 15, they, they participate in the discussion uh, in Jerusalem concerning the Gentiles' obedience to the law of Moses. They're, they're a part of that. They're not named specifically. They're not even addressed uh, in, in some specific role or title or anything like that. However, what we do see in Acts 15 is that their input is sought after and their input is, is valued. And perhaps where we see leading men, at least today, taking a, a, a rather prominent role might be a church that has no elders or perhaps has uh, no preacher. But I don't want to limit it to that. Um, I believe we see leading men here at this congregation serving, participating, helping in ways in which they can help and seeing that their, uh, their viewpoints and, and, and their uh, work effort is valued just as it was in Acts chapter 15. Leading men is, is one uh, that's discussed. Another position which may be given a more distinguished role, is set apart a little bit more, is that of a preacher or an evangelist. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Paul speaks of responsibilities uh, that Timothy and Titus uh, have in their respective cities as evangelists. Uh, preachers, are, uh, preachers and evangelists uh, also participate in Acts chapter 15. Their input is sought after and valued. If you want to look at the role of what an evangelist does, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, and you'll get a pretty good summary as to what an evangelist should do. Um, do the work of an evangelist, Paul says. So that's a role that's also mentioned. A deacon is a role that's been uh, rather debated uh, by some, uh, but it is clearly distinguished uh, in, in Scripture. The word literally means servant. And so that word is used to describe both men and women in the Bible, inasmuch as servant is used to describe both men and women. I'll have more to say on that in, in a minute. However, there are two places in Scripture where the word deacon is used to describe what seems to be a distinguished role, something set aside from just a, a, a servant. You can, look at, you can look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. The letter to the Philippians is addressed to the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Seems to be a rather general audience being addressed. But then right after that, he says, including the overseers or elders and deacons. So does this mean that the saints mentioned before were not servants at the church? I don't think so. No, I think what's being, uh, what's, what's being talked about is that they just didn't serve in that particular Role. And then, of course, we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, distinguishes the role even further, adding to it uh, qualifications and whatnot and thing, things along those lines. Acts 6, you can kind of look into uh, some of the things that a deacon might do. And then perhaps the clearest role that is distinguished uh, in Scripture is that of an elder, an overseer, uh, a shepherd, pastor. This role is pretty uh, clearly laid out in Scripture. We see it first in Acts chapter 11. It's interesting, in Acts 11, it's not even described at all. It's just kind of mentioned as if you already know what it is. Uh, but then it's mentioned uh, several more times throughout the book of Acts. We see it again in Acts 15, along with some of these other roles. Uh, elders being referred to, even discussed a little bit more at length. Um, and as far as leadership is concerned, leadership in the church, where, where people are to listen to and, and uh, follow a particular leader, um, I believe it's seen most clearly through that of eldership. And so these are some of the roles that we see. Again, we can explore these four topics a lot more, and I would encourage you all to do that uh, on your own time to see what it is, in fact, that they are doing. And as we've appointed a new elder, I think this is a pretty good time to revisit these things. But that's not the, the purpose of tonight's lesson. The purpose of tonight's lesson is really to look at this second part. 
I want to assert tonight that leadership in the church should look different than that of, of the world. The temptation is that we might merge what the world does in leadership with what the church does in leadership, where we might see something be successful in the business world, and so we think to ourselves, well, let's go ahead and apply this over to the church, and let's see where it does. Now, I'm not going to completely rail against that because some things can be done under the authority of Scripture. But if something is done outside of the authority of Scripture, then we're, we're, we're doing something wrong in that. But regardless, what we should do, and I hope what we'll see tonight, um, is that these leadership roles ought to be different. I want to spend some time looking at all of these roles, but I, I do want to sp uh, give special attention to the role of, of an elder. So because biblical leadership is different, there, there are going to be some uh, peculiar attributes uh, of, the New, of New Testament Leaderships. I, I'm going to look at four different ones uh, tonight. There might be more that we could explore, but, but at least these four, and I think you'll get the idea as to what New Testament leadership is, is to look like. The first thing that we see as far as leadership is concerned is that there, the church doesn't have a board of employees. Like there's no long list of, of people who are being compensated by, by the church, financially speaking. A corporation or a government is going to have that. They're going to have needs within uh, their uh, place of business, and they're going to fill those needs. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to pay their employees. Um, I don't think anyone here would, would do their job for free. I don't know. Maybe you would. But what, what, what we do in life is we work and we expect some sort of payment. So, might even might view this as some sort of weakness of the church, perhaps. Because, I mean, after all, where's the motivation to take on these roles if there isn't any type of financial compensation for this? So why do we, why do, we do this? Um, well, perhaps the clearest answer is found within uh, a, a search for biblical authority. That's what we want to do, to see whether a particular role is going to be financially compensated or, or, or not. And the fact is, uh, we have no biblical examples of, of deacons or leading men being paid for their work within, within the church. Uh, given how little mention there is of leading men and deacons, you'd be pretty hard-pressed uh, to find examples of this. Acts chapter 6, uh, which is the passage we often go to, to, to see what deacons actually do within the church. You don't see any type of payment being rendered uh, to them. You don't see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You don't see that in Acts chapter 15 with, with, with leading men. However, I will admit, I will, I will admit that there, there may be a larger principle that is established in other passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Timothy 5, both quote, the, uh, Paul in both places quotes the, the, the law of Moses saying, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And then in 1 Timothy 5, he adds another statement where he says a laborer is worthy of his hire. So perhaps this same argument could be made to pay, uh, to, for the church to pay deacons for their work. But I do want to hesitate and say, we must look at the context of both of those. In 1 Corinthians 9, the context is he, he applies that statement to paying preachers for their work. And then in 1 Timothy 5, he uses that statement to apply it to paying elders for their work. So the only examples that we have is that of preachers and, and elders. Is Paul establishing a larger principle? Perhaps there's some study that could be happened there. But what we must do is be able to view these things within the context that, they're, that they are presented. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Now, there is precedence for, for preachers and evangelists being compensated for the work that they do. We see this in Philippians chapter 4. But an interesting example is in 1 Corinthians 9. Go ahead and turn there. Look at 1 Corinthians 9 with me. I just mentioned this uh, a minute ago. 
So Paul is providing a, 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 an argument as to why he ought to be compensated for the work that he has done with them. And, and, and really, 1 through 12 gives this long, detailed uh, explanation for that. But, but I want to pick up in verse 11. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 11, he says, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Again, Paul is proposing this argument. We have labored among you. A laborer is worthy of his hire. We, he, he ought to be compensated for that. But what makes this example so interesting is what he says right after that. He says, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right. So, Paul establishes another precedence, which is preachers and evangelists might not be paid. There is precedence for them not being compensated for this work. I mean, does that sound like Galatians chapter 5 to you? Hey, I have the right to accept this payment from you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to deny myself of that right, of that liberty. I'm going to exercise that freedom so that the gospel would not be hindered, so that you would not be discouraged, so there would be no hindrance placed on them. Moving uh, to, to elders, elders, generally speaking, or at least here at Oak Mountain, are not paid uh, by the church, at least um, uh, for, for that particular work. Although in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, particularly verses 17 and 18, Paul actually encourages elders to be compensated. He says uh, uh, that those who rule well ought to be considered worthy of double honor. Now, that's a, that's a phrase that's, that's debated uh, by some. Uh, what does the phrase double honor actually mean? I, I, I do think he's referring to financial compensation. Verse 18, I think, makes that pretty clear that the double honor is respect as well as some sort of financial compensation. However, even though there is biblical precedence for this, as you read 1 Timothy chapter 5, it almost seems as though this is an exception of some kind, like where it's not the norm. Now, I will, I will stand up and say that, you know what, there might be some wisdom in having an elder quit their day job and completely commit themselves to a particular church and be compensated by the church. However, that seems like somewhat of an anomaly, uh, somewhat of, a, of, a, of an exception of some kind. My point in bringing all of this up is whether that leader is paid or not, the service that is done is not about the financial compensation. It's not about being paid. That's not why they do this. Paul actually speaks about that very topic in the next chapter in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You look at verses 3 through 5. There were some who did not promote a doctrine conforming to godliness. Rather, they tried to use godliness as a means of gain. They tried to use these roles as their own way of, of, of making money, as their own way of promoting themselves and putting themselves up the ladder or something along those lines. Paul says in, in, in verse 11, he says, flee from these things. That's not why these people serve. As we look at leadership in the New Testament, financial motivation just simply isn't there. That is never the carrot at the end of the stick. Leaders in the church are motivated by service. And that's it. They are motivated by service that they could render to others because that is how we use our freedom as Christians. That is what we ought to do. That is how greatness will be judged of how we have served one another. So while some may view a lack of a board of employees as some sort of um, detriment to the church of some kind, I hope you see that it's not. 
Because a leader ought to be motivated by serving one another. Another thing that, that might seem peculiar or odd in the New Testament is that there are no women serving in these roles. Not only does this feel unethical, doesn't it kind of seem impractical? Because as I, as I look out, I see a majority of women in the audience. We have more women here than, than men. So doesn't it seem kind of impractical that we would assert leadership in, for, for the minority? Well, in an effort to be progressive, inclusive, uh, representative corporations and governments have certainly branched out and gone this route in the last hundred years, allowing women to serve in their role. By the way, all good things. Uh, like in the previous point, I'm not, I'm not opposed to people in being paid in their jobs, nor am I opposed to women being able to have jobs and be able to serve in that capacity. But we must recognize that the Bible simply does not authorize any such progression, if I might use the worldly way of that, in the church. The Bible doesn't authorize that type of inclusivity, that type of representation. In the list of qualifications that's given to elders and deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says of both that they must be husbands of one wife. That's a pretty clear indication. 1 Corinthians 9, the passage that I referenced before, Paul is discussing other rights that he and evangelists have, one of which being the right to take on a believing wife which would imply that both he and the other evangelists that are working with them are, are men. And then there are other clear passages that would restrict uh, a woman's participation in some of these roles. 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 14 uh, being among them. There, there's a lot more that we could say on this particular topic. Um, something else that, that would be worthwhile studying. But certainly as you go throughout Scripture and you start looking for these leadership roles, you simply don't find women in these roles. However, in the same way that financial compensation was not the point of leaders, of leaders serving in their roles, serving in any leadership role in the church isn't for the sake of equal representation either. Um, because, because a good elder, a good elder is always seeking out the needs of each member. A good eldership is always looking to represent each and every member, regardless man or woman, regardless of race, regardless of nationality. Every single elder is trying to represent and do the best they can for the spiritual welfare of each member in the congregation. So as far as representation is concerned, that's what an elder ought to be doing, is representing everyone, regardless of who they are, because an elder serves. Leaders in the church serve, and that's what they ought to be searching for. And nor is this leadership role about the perceived honor that might come with it. I would argue that that type of mindset, if you, if you, if you are upset that you can't serve in this particular role because you can't be given that particular honor, that, that kind of mindset is, is pharisaical by, by definition, where you have these leaders who sit in chief seats, wear the best clothing, say the longest prayers. Why? Because they want honor from men. They want the honor that the world gives. And because it's not a position of power or a position of honor in, in the way that the world might esteem greatness, it's not... It's not like something is being withheld from, from women. 
Now, perhaps in history or even in some churches today, it may seem that way because some people have exalted these positions to positions of power that God never did. People have esteemed these positions and lorded it over people like the Gentiles do, but that is not the way it was designed. That's not the way it ought to be. That is a side effect. That is a product of people not following what the Scriptures have said. That is a product of leaders, uh, church leaders exalting themselves or others exalting church leaders rather than exalting God. I hope we're, I hope we're able to see that. Another strange thing about uh, New Testament leadership is that, that there, is no, there is no pyramid. Uh, there's no hierarchy that, that, that's mentioned. Um, there's often a pecking order, chain of command, whatever you want to call it, in, in corporations and governments. And though many try to say, well, the CEO is actually at the bottom of that pyramid, that president is actually at the bottom trying to serve all of those above him. And maybe that's an attempt of some. That's not the reality most of the time. Uh, after all, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 that the great ones lord it over people. That's, that's what they do. They have power and they use it. But in the church, uh, both the local congregation and just the church as a whole, there is no pyramid apart from Christ being the head. While there are different roles within the church, as I mentioned before, it doesn't operate like some hierarchy of sorts. I'll say preachers are often revered um, by, by Christians. Uh, leaders, uh, uh, they're revered as these leaders of the congregation. Uh, they're the ones who sit at the top of the pyramid. I haven't seen it as much here in Birmingham, but I remember seeing it a lot in, in, in Atlanta, seeing church signs, marquees that would have the pastor or reverend's name down at the bottom. Some would even have a picture uh, of them. And maybe we don't have that outside. But I think we do, I do, I think we do this sometimes. Because as you're trying to reference a church in another area, you're talking to the person, they don't know what you're talking about, and so you say, oh, no, it's where so-and-so preaches. No, that, that's, that's where this person preaches, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but if we're not careful, we might lean into giving preachers uh, uh, some sort of authority that the Scriptures just simply don't give them. Um, we don't want to confuse the authoritative teaching of apostles with that of preachers. Yes, apostles were the ones out there preaching, and they preached with authority. Why? Because Jesus had given them that authority. The only authority that preachers have is the authority that comes from the word they are speaking. We cannot confuse these two things. We cannot make them the same thing. And so we ought not esteem preachers into that top of the pyramid type idea. Though the roles are not arranged in some pyramid per se... I will say, though, each role is not equal, strictly speaking. Like, the role of an elder is different than that of an evangelist. The role of a deacon is different than that of an elder. And of these roles, the eldership is one that is spoken of in some sort of authoritative way. Uh, you can see this, 1 Peter chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about obeying your leaders. I believe in the context there, that is a direct reference to, to, to the elders. Obey your, your elders there. Um, no such teaching is said of preachers and evangelists. Um, no such teaching is said of deacons or leading men. There seems to be a clear distinction made between the role of an elder and, and everybody else. And I'll elaborate a little bit more uh, on, on that in a minute. But even within the eldership, even within the eldership, there isn't a hierarchy. 
Notice every time elders are spoken of, it's always mentioned in the plural. You can look through those examples in Acts, Acts 11, 14, 15, 20. Every single time there is a plurality of elders. So there's not going to be some supreme leader. But even within that eldership, there isn't some supreme leader. There's no distribution of roles or things along those lines, even if that might make a little bit of sense. Right? Okay, I wouldn't hear during COVID, but I would imagine, I would imagine that some people would like to have said, you know what, just give it to me. Let me take on that role. I will make the decisions. And you know what would happen? Decisions would be made a whole lot faster. Uh, I do not envy any eldership that had to navigate that process, had to go through that and so sometimes we might be tempted to think, well, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Let's just kind of divvy that out to this one person and they will take on that role. And they're the ones who are going to make the decision on that. Right. I hope you see the danger in that. I'm not sure any of our elders want absolute power or wanted absolute power during that period of COVID. Um, you don't see it arranged in that way. Another thing is that there's no indication of rank within the eldership based on age or, or tenure. So Gary has just been appointed about a, about a month ago, and you know what? He is equal to, to Simon. He is just as much of an elder as, as Simon. You know what? There was no hazing involved when that came. I don't, I don't think. That would that, that, actually be, be a pretty funny thought. Um, I, I don't think there was anything like that, right? I, there, there's no earn your stripes type of mentality. Well, if you want to be like one of us, then sure, everyone's appointed you here, but you're going to have to go through. The, no, no, there's nothing like that. That's not the way the eldership works. Whether you've been an elder for a month or years, there's going to be, they are equal within that eldership. I hope you see that. But I want to bring our attention again to Galatians 5 and Matthew chapter 20. There is no hierarchy within the eldership or within any of these roles of service because it's not about seeking power. And it's not about giving absolute power to any of these roles. It's not about lording it over others like the world might do. And you know what Jesus does in Matthew 20 at the end of that passage? He points the disciples' attention to the cross. What did the Son of Man do? How did He show His service? He showed His service on the cross. You know what leaders ought to do as they decide on how they are going to lead? We'd better look at the cross. Because that's what leadership looks like. We talk about leadership a lot, and there's a lot of uh, classes that are dedicated uh, to young men trying to develop good leaders. If you want to be a leader, you better learn how to be a follower. And you better follow Jesus to the cross. That's the only way to serve in the way that you have been appointed to serve. And building on that point, one of the, another peculiar attribute about these roles is that all of these roles, even the role of, of, of elders, have no real power. At least in the way that we often think of, of, of power. Um, a preacher, as I alluded to before, only has the power that is in the Word of God. Because they are ones who are supposed to be preaching the Word of God, sharing the message of God to others. You know else who has that? Well, well, every Christian has that. Every Christian ought to be sharing the Word of God with others. So you have equal power with the preacher. That's the power that's been given to them. A deacon may serve in a particular role uh, and even tell people what to do in that particular role. But you understand what the purpose of that role is? The purpose is, that, is so that things might run a little bit more 
smoothly, right? You look at the example in Acts chapter 6, the, the example that's provided there. I love, uh, I love what Luke shares. It says, because these deacons did what they were supposed to do, you want to know what happened? The word of God spread because of their work. That's the motivation of deacons. But, like I mentioned before, there's a certain level of authority that is given to an elder. Members of a local body are called to respect and submit to elders. I referred to uh, 1 Peter 5 and Hebrews 13 before. But I want to look at 1 Peter 5. Go ahead and turn there. Look at what Peter says um, to elders here in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter 5, I'm going to start in verse 2. Again, he's speaking to, to elders here. He says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Not under compulsion. Not lording it over those allotted to your charge. Does that sound like absolute authority to you? Does that sound like absolute power to you? And Paul says something similar in Acts chapter 20 uh, to the elders at Ephesus. He says, working hard in this manner, you must uh, help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Who's the one receiving gifts there? Is it the one in the assumed position of power? Is it the elder receiving gifts? No. It's the elder who is the one giving the gifts to others. It is the elder who is serving in that particular role. Can elders control members of a congregation? Well, sure, they can decide on, on meeting times. But have any of you ever gotten fined for showing up late? Or kicked out, perhaps, for showing up late? The elders have decided that we're going to go forward with those little Lord's Supper packets. Some people aren't exactly too happy about that. Does that mean that they are now watching over you to make sure that you agree with them in that? Does that mean that they're making sure you don't smuggle in your own bread and cup and things along those lines? No, it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Can elders kick people out for not following their rules? No, they can't do that. Elders are certainly leaders within a congregation, and we ought to esteem them as such and honor them as such. But the only power elders have is the extent to which members are willing to follow, which certainly sheds some light on the qualifications that are given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, that they are people who manage their own household well, that they are people who are respected in the community. You see how valuable that is? Why we ought to really consider these qualifications? Because if they are people who do not have respect of others around them, what's that going to do to the congregation? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, an elder uh, might kind of get the ball rolling as far as withdrawing from, from a particular member is concerned. And maybe that's a display of power of some kind. But I'll argue back saying that the effectiveness of that decision is contingent on two things. First, being that members actually have a relationship with that person who's being withdrawn from. Otherwise, the withdrawal really doesn't mean anything. And the second thing is that the, uh, is that the members actually withdraw from that person as the elders have asked for them to do. 
Elders must see themselves as God sees them, which is, which is servants. Deacons and preachers must do the same for that matter. And that's why we have chosen our words carefully here uh, at Oak Mountain. Gary has been appointed to serve as an elder. Jacob, Ben, and Roy will be serving as deacons. I and Bob are both working alongside, not over, working alongside you. And we members must remember that we, we can't see these positions, uh, but especially that of an elder, as, as positions at the top of the pyramid, as positions like we might view in the world as people who are just trying to dominate, people who are trying to assert their power over other people. That's not how we ought to view these men. Because that's not how freedom in Christ works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. They're not trying to serve in some oppressive way. What we ought to be thinking of is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. It says, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So while, yes, there's no judge and jury among the elders, while, yes, there isn't some police force that's going on, what Paul asserts is that we ought to appreciate those who are laboring daily to serve and look after each and every one of us. Going back to where we started in Galatians chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 20, again, we see that leadership is, is different. Its organization is that of, of, of service. And while those who serve ought to be honored and respected, it must not be for that purpose that they serve. But we must all understand that Galatians 5 and Matthew chapter 20 ought to be instruction for all of us. But we must see that these leaders within the church must serve as examples, as Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 5. But we all must be using our freedom in Christ not to bite and devour one another, but to encourage. And we must strive to, to be servants in God's kingdom and in that way be considered great by him. But I want to end uh, tonight by looking at one final passage in Philippians chapter 2. Again, we, we mentioned that a church are all just members of the body of Christ. Christ being the head of the church. Every single one of us, leaders or, or, or not, every single one of us must be looking to Him. Because Jesus is the one who has set an example for us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We must empty ourselves 
as Jesus did. We must be willing to take on the form of a bondservant as Jesus did. Examples must be set by the leaders, but this is something that every single one of us must be participating in. But you know, you cannot truly empty yourselves to others until you have emptied yourself to God. Until you have given yourself completely over to Him. The one who has given Himself up for you. We must be willing to fully submit to Him. If you haven't done that, if you haven't become a Christian, uh, we often have an invitation at the end, as you're pretty familiar with. Um, it's a genuine one, though. It's a sincere one. It's one that we hope everyone in here who is not a Christian will think about and will, will obey this particular invitation. That if you have thought about it, if you have counted the cost as Jesus calls us to do, and you want to serve, and you want to follow Him, we can make that happen. You can be baptized for the forgiveness of, his sin, of your sins. And in Jesus there is no condemnation, as we talked about this morning. But if you have been struggling, if there is something in your life that you feel as though you really need to confess, you can do that as well. But I want every single one of us here to at least heed the invitation of evaluating ourselves. How have we been in serving one another? How have we been in serving each other? And especially leaders here at this local body of Christ. How have we been doing in serving each other? If you have any need of this invitation, I invite you to come up now while we stand and while we sing.